0: Welcome to Talking Robots, the podcast with an inside view on the science, technology and business of intelligent robotics. Hi, I'm Markus Weibel from the Laboratory of Intelligent Systems at the EPFL in Lausanne, Switzerland. In today's podcast, we will talk to Auke Eisberg about his work on an amphibious salamander robot that can walk and swim. Auke Eispert is an assistant professor at the EPFL and head of the Biologically Inspired Robotics Group. He is very well known for his work on central pattern generators and their use in robot control. Auke's research interests are centered around the control of animal and robot locomotion and include all computational aspects of movement control, as well as sensory motor coordination and learning in animals and in robots. His current research projects span theoretical approaches to sensory motor coordination, biological modeling of lamprey and salamander locomotion, and robotic implementations in robot fish, snakes, salamanders, and humanoids. So, hi, Auke. Welcome to Talking Robots. Hi. You've developed a robotic amphibious salamander that can walk and swim. Can you describe to our audience uh, what your robot looks like?
1: Yeah, so the the robot is kind of a yellow thing, let's say, which can both, as you mentioned, swim and walk. So it's a. In fact, we started by building a lamprey-like snake-like robot which can swim, but which didn't have legs. And then uh, during development, we added these legs uh, to to it to allow uh, exactly like a salamander to uh, to switch to walking. So the the robot is really a kind of snake with legs, as you could say. So there are six DC motors for for actuating the spine. And for the legs, we cheated a little bit, like we took the WEGS concept that Roger Quinn and uh, Bob Full use as well, like one degree of freedom leg which rotates permanently, but which is sufficient to do the transition between swing and stance. So uh, to describe a little bit more, so it can swim exactly like uh, an eel on a, or a lamprey, kind of, it's called anguilliform swimming, a traveling wave undulation being propagated from head to tail. And on ground, uh, it does exactly what the Salamander does. It switches to a S-shaped standing wave for as, as, as for the body undulation, And then it's nicely coordinated with, with the limbs to, to optimize speed on, on ground. So it's kind of a stepping gate, but where the, the body undulation is still very important.
0: What was your main motivation to build a robot like this?
1: So the robot was, in fact, really designed to, to try to explain uh, biology. We, we had some specific questions about uh, what is going on into the salamander. How does the salamander spinal cord control locomotion? So the real purpose was indeed to, to explain uh, this or to test these biological models, which is interesting, in fact, because there are indeed many projects which take inspiration from biology uh, in robotics, as you know. And here, in fact, we really wanted to give something back to biology, and, and it was
0: really a, meant as a scientific tool for for neurobiological modeling. So you've just described this work on your Salamander robot in more detail in an article in science magazine. And this robot has really caused a sensation far beyond the world of science. Uh, you've had articles covering this work in 100 newspapers, more than 100 newspapers and magazines. And you've had news coverage on CNN and BBC, USA Today, Fox News, among others. What makes this amphibious robot so important?
1: So, uh, to, to be frank, I was really impressed as well and, and amazed by the coverage. I, I was hoping a little bit of coverage, but never expecting uh, such a big coverage. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I think the, the reason why, why we had we were lucky to have this coverage is, is probably a mix of, um, of three interesting things. Robotics always interests people evolution, and uh, neurobiology. And and the robot, uh, as I'll pr- explain later, was really a mix of these three things. So I guess that, that was the main thing where, where we got all this, this coverage. And for us, the robot is in fact not even the main thing about the paper. If you read the paper, the robot is a, sm- a relatively small part of it. Still very important for us to validate our neurobiological models of what's going on in the spinal cord. But the, uh, it's really for us the combination of the mo- bio- mathematical model that we tested We're testing and and the robot, which was important, and uh, for which we got the the science paper.
0: So what does your robot bring to biology?
1: So I would say a little bit two things. The first thing is mainly about the understanding uh, how locomotion is controlled in in a lower vertebrate like the salamander. So as you probably know, it's really the spinal cord which controls locomotion in vertebrate animals. Uh, And we really wanted to understand uh, what happens in the the spinal cord of the salamander. How does it swim? How does it walk? How does it do the switch between the two? So that was mainly contribution to to neurobiology. The the other contribution is to evolution, since uh, the model is is based on kind of an evolution concept, in the sense that we started with a primitive swimming circuit that you can see in, in very primitive vertebrates like the lamprey which does uh, a lamprey, in fact, swims almost identically to um, a salamander. And we were exploring uh, how we could we, how could we extend the swimming circuit uh, and, and do the switch to walking. So that's where this also this aspect of trying to explain not all the details of how, what happened during evolution, but what could have changed between uh, lampreys and salamanders to explain the transition to, to walking
0: during vertebrate evolution. So the lamprey is a very ancient, in a way, organism, and it's very similar to the first animals, backbone animals that left the ocean and went on land. Uh, Does your work say anything about this evolutionary transition?
1: Yeah, so absolutely, at least the transition to to legged locomotion on ground. Um, Indeed, uh, the lampreys is is this fish, primitive fish, as you mentioned, and uh, it has always been a big topic, question of how did fish come out and, and become amphibians, uh, salamander is an amphibian, and do terrestrial locomotion. So clearly there have, there, have been, there are many evolutionary stages between the lamprey and the salamander. The, first of all, there, there have been fishes with fins and then proto-limbs, and then uh, came the salamander. But what's interesting is the more people study the salamander, the more they realize there are many similarities with the lamprey, and that's how we started Um, building our model based on the hypothesis that the salmon had probably kept a swimming circuit as found in the lamprey and just extended it um, to to explain uh, walking uh, in a vertebrate animal
0: So how does this robot actually work?
1: So the um, in terms of robotic technology, the robot is is very standard. It's GC motors, gearbox, um, microcontrollers with a PD position-based control of each each joint. Uh, the nice concept of the robot is is very modular. So that's why we can switch easily between the lamprey robot and the, the salamander robot, by just adding or removing elements in the chain. Um, uh, the modularity is also very nice. If there is a leakage, we don't lose the whole robot. We, we just have a local leakage and we just change that module, for instance. So the, the robot itself is fairly standard technology... And uh, the interesting thing is the, the mathematical model we we made of the spinal cord, uh, which technically is a is a central pattern generator model, um, a neural circuit that is uh, that you find in in both vertebrate and invertebrates animals controlling locomotion, and and that model is also programmed on board of the the robot. So all the the online trajectory trajectory generation is really done on board of the robot. And the only thing we do from an offboard PC is send the high level drive signals that are sent to the, the CPG model, the central pattern generator model. So there must be a human in the loop to determine high level signals like speed and, and direction. But then it's really the work of the CPG and the robot to implement those and, and generate
0: the, the gates. Uh, what is such a pattern generator? How does this work? Yeah, so
1: a central pattern generator is really a central building block for uh, locomotion control in, in all animals. So it's, uh, by definition, it's a, uh, a neural circuit which can produce complex patterns of rhythmic activity without any rhythmic inputs. So the word central is, uh, is there as opposed to peripheral nervous system. So it shows you don't need sensory feedback to generate rhythms as you might know, uh, 100 years ago, people didn't know yet exactly if locomotion was based on a chain of reflexes, that you really needed the, f- the feedback from sensors to, to generate rhythms, or if, if it was generated centrally. And now it's very clear it's generated centrally. It's a, it's a, it's a ner- network which by itself produces rhythms. By the way, a typical example to show that you have a CPG, a central pattern generator, is uh, for instance in the lamprey, is that you can completely isolate the spinal cord of the lamprey, put it in an excitatory bath, a chemical bath, and then you can basically induce very nice oscillatory patterns uh, with a nice traveling wave, which is almost identical to the, the normal swimming in the lamprey. So it's called fictive locomotion, and it's a very good demonstration that you don't need sensory feedback to generate the, the, the correct patterns for locomotion. So what's the role of the brain then? So the brain is uh, has a little role <laughs> in locomotion, so it it's it clear it's very important, but it's mainly uh, there to send high-level signals. So we know that the brain sends kind of drive signals to the spinal cord, uh, which, let's say, the higher the stimulation to the spinal cord, the faster the locomotion. It basically induces, induces higher frequency and higher amplitude of oscillation, and therefore you go faster. Also, uh, you can induce um, turning by stimulating more one side of spinal cord compared to the other. So essentially, during at least steady state locomotion, the brain just sends these high-level signals. And uh, in lower vertebrates, uh, the animal can not, almost not do anything else than that. So it's only among higher vertebrates that the motor cortex has in some cases more direct connection to interneurons in, in the spinal cord and motor neurons where upper part of the brain does more, more important things like feet placement or keeping balance and things like that. Um, so there you have more a mix of CPG control and, and higher level control. But in lower vertebrates it's really a CPG which solves completely the problem of uh, locomotion
0: control. So basically, you have a CPG, uh, and as an input to this CPG, all the brain gives is, in the simplest case, I guess, a voltage. Uh, and if you if you raise this voltage, first it will swim, and then it will, if the voltage is higher, it will walk. Or yeah, exactly. The the since already you know 40 years, people have
1: identified in in the brainstem of many vertebrate animals uh, a specific region that if you stimulate that one with very sim- simple electrical stimulation. Very impressively, you can not only induce locomotion, but also modulated speed with, as you mentioned, higher stimulation leading to faster locomotion, but even gait transitions, which I find very, personally very impressive. Like uh, People have done it in the cat. Uh, it's not very nice for the cat, but you can distribute the cat. That means removing connection between the upper part of the brain and the brainstem and the spinal cord. And if in such an animal you stimulate the brainstem at low level of stimulation, you will induce walking almost perfectly normal walking gait. The higher the stimulation, the, f- the faster the walking. But then at some threshold, um, if you pass a threshold, you will switch to the, a trot gait, which is completely different in terms of phase relations uh, as a walking. And then, if you stimulate even more, you will s- switch to a gallop, which are three completely different modes of locomotion, purely completely uh, controlled by the spinal cord and the brainstem. So really... S- that really shows that the brainstem and the spinal cord have very sophisticated circuits for controlling locomotion. And this type of experiment has been done exactly, as you mentioned, also in the, in the salamander. And that's what started our, our article. Is, uh, you can do, if you stimulate uh, the brainstem of a uh, salamander at low-level stimulation, you induce walking. And if you stimulate it more at some threshold, you switch to swimming. Again, completely different modes of locomotion and just very simple inputs switching between the two, which as a roboticist
0: I find very fascinating and impressive. So, as a roboticist, would you say this implementation makes sense uh, for a robot? Yeah, for, for, yeah, absolutely,
1: from different points of view. So, first of all, this notion of distributed con- control, having different parts of your controller, controller being responsible of different parts. Uh, so it 's a good idea of having a spinal cord being responsible of locomotion uh, also there 's a question of uh, time delays in the system you You are much closer to the actuators, so the time delays of the reflex loops are, are short. It would be kind of a waste of time to communicate this information to upper part of the brain um, there 's a notion also of uh, yeah bandwidth let 's say if you had all the time the upper part of the brain had to think about what every muscle is doing don 't lower down in your spinal cord, you probably have problem of bandwidth not being able to communicate all the control signals to the to the muscles. And, um, yeah, so basically it's, it makes sense, and it's a, I think nature has found a wonderful solution of um,
0: how to implement a locomotion controller, essentially. Uh, do you see any main limitations or reasons why one would not build a robot like this? Um, so...
1: Um, in terms of, of uh, maybe we'll come to that later, but in terms of designing CPGs, the the problem of, I think, uh, if you make a mathematical model and implement it in a robot and do it properly, you have wonderful properties, um, like even entrainment between the neural oscillators and the, the sensory feedback. But what's still missing in terms of robotics is design methodologies, how to do it properly, how can you get the system producing the right behavior. Uh, from a dynamical systems point of view, what you're aiming at is a robust limit cycle behavior. Um, where limit cycle behavior means just a rhythmic uh, behavior that is stable. If you disturb it yeah, very rapidly after a transient period, period you return to the normal uh, oscillatory mode. Uh, so the big problem is how to design your complete system, that means the CPG and the coupling with the body and the environment, such that you have limit cycle behavior for your, your gait. And there, we're still a little bit lacking methodologies of how to do it. There are several groups working on that. We are among among them. Uh, but so far, the, that's basically one limit. A little bit is is it's these systems are not so easy to design. Essentially,
0: we'll talk a bit more about the challenges in a minute. But uh, for now, where do you see potential applications of this technology?
1: Yeah. So. Um, it's true that the robot was uh, mainly designed for, as I mentioned at the beginning, for uh, helping neurobiology. But we could see two, at least two fields of application of this type of research. The first one is just in terms of amphibious robotics. Uh, uh, there are many terrestrial robots, a few s- uh, swimming or underwater robots, but very few which can make the transition. So um, here, clearly, there is an application for this type of robots for um just having a very robust robot that you could send out for search and rescue scenarios, for instance. If you have a, a catastrophe where maybe an earthquake or a flood which mixes terrestrial and aquatic environments, having a robot which easily switches from swimming to walking would be ideal. Um, for instance, being remote control, but still having good locomotion skills. So there I, I could clearly see good applications for, uh, for uh, an amphibious robot. The other technology is this concept of cpgs uh, we we applied them to to this specific salamander robot, but a little bit the specialty of our group is to apply them to other type of robots like quadrupeds snakes uh, bipeds even and I really believe this can be uh, maybe unlock the problem we still have of doing online trajectory generation in robotics as you know it's still a big one of the biggest challenges agile locomotion in legged systems. And I really believe CPGs could could break, make a breakthrough and and get us to to better locomotion skills in in robots.
0: And what are your future plans for first for the for the salamander robot and then for the CPGs? So yeah, the salamander robot. Um,
1: well, we're now working on prototype three. What we present in the in the paper in the science paper was prototype two. There was a first prototype where we, we, we didn't publish anything about it. And the third prototype will be a better swimmer. So um, the current robot is a good walker, I would say, but not a very good swimmer because it do- doesn't have enough motors in the spine, not enough degrees of freedom in the spine to have a good swimming skills. Like for generating a traveling wave, you need you need many actuation points. Otherwise, you, you don't create a good traveling wave. So the, so this prototype will be a better better swimmer. Um, And in the future, uh, that may be the fourth prototype, I would like to go a little bit away from planar locomotion. I don't know if you noticed, but our robot is not good at passing over obstacles. All the degrees of freedom are meant to to make undulation in a plane, and there's no degree of freedom which would allow you to lift your body to go over an obstacle. So that clearly for any outdoor uh, application is is a huge limitation. So that's something planned for um, uh, the prototype number four. Then in terms of uh, CPGs in more, gener- uh, more, more generally, there we, yeah, as I mentioned, this is a topic we really like uh, and we try to see, uh, first of all, how can we design CPGs for different types of robots? What are good design methodologies? Uh, how can you integrate sensory feedback to, to get this limit cycle behavior at the level of the whole controller body and environment loop? So these are, we have several Projects running on that in parallel. Some are very theoretical, so really finding good properties of basic uh, building blocks like adaptive frequency oscillators. Other are more empirical, like doing online optimization of um, of CPGs for for locomotion control. Because there, uh, here is really a problem where, for instance, we do that with a snake robot. It's very difficult to make a proper simulation of a snake robot in terms of its interaction forces with the environment. You always switch in between collisions and friction. Even friction, uh, sometimes it's viscous friction, sometimes dry friction. So to simulate that properly is, is very, very difficult. So here we try to run online optimization algorithm on top of the CPGs to um, to estimate your speed and explore parameter space of your CPG. And the CPG is then a nice tool to uh, first of all uh, deal with the redundancies. We we basically have only a few parameters producing complex coordinated pattern of rhythmic activity, so uh, the optimization algorithm is running on the reduced dimensionality space of parameter space, not not the whole trajectories. That is hel- helpful. Another thing where it's useful is that the CPG is very robust against uh, abrupt parameter changes, so we can really easily run the optimization algorithm in parallel to the, the CPG, adjust parameters while the robot is moving, without needing to stop and reset the robot. So these are kind of some examples of things we're currently doing in terms of uh, CPGs applied to, to robotic locomotion.
0: I have one other thing that comes to mind. Um, and this is because we talked to Metin City, who works on artificial gecko hairs just a, a few weeks back. Could you extend uh, your work in that direction?
1: Yeah, I, I find it very exciting work what he what he's doing at CMU. So indeed... Um, that would be a nice kind of almost natural uh, extension of our work because uh, we would then go from amphibians to reptiles, gecko being reptiles, and and going to vertical locomotion. That would be fantastic. So, indeed, if you look at, uh, I guess if you look compare salamander and gecko locomotion, they are very similar. And uh, indeed, if we could kind of collaborate with him and get this uh, indeed sticky feet and try to get up a wall, that would that would be fantastic. So. I would be very keen on collaborating on
0: that topic. That would be exciting. Now, maybe for the field in robotics in in general, uh, where do you think the biggest advances will be made in the next 20 years? So, well, I really hope we get better locomotive skills. Well, that's, uh,
1: locomotion is indeed my pet topic, so I'm still a bit frustrated by how robots move. And it's maybe one of the most obvious areas where if you compare animals to robots... Uh, we're still very far from the agility of of uh, animal locomotion. If you think about a dolphin or um uh, or a goat running on on a steep uh, terrain with stones and everything. We are very, very far from that. so I, I really hope we we can get good advances in this type of uh, locomotor skills, and um, I think that 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 would be exciting. One area where I see uh, big advances already now happening is in entertainment robotics. Uh, I think that's probably where we see uh, more and more robots entering our home uh, maybe more before that they do the the uh, the cleaning and the the, the washing and everything. They, they might start just being entertaining devices and uh, that that might be uh, also exciting advance in in robotics. And when you think about it, the toy robotics has the advantage of not needing to be perfect. Uh, if you make a robot which falls over and stands up again, it makes it funny. It's even, uh, it would be almost frustrating if it doesn't do it, which is very different from, let's say, a robot which carries your, your beers or, or your, <laughs> your nicest uh, piece of, um, of uh, how do you say uh, plates and everything, and, and that one you don't want to fall over. So it might be that we get some advances thanks to the toy robotics uh,
0: uh, field. Do you have any potential candidates for advancing locomotion in either direction in maybe in the funny direction and in the <laughs> beer carrying direction <laughs> you mean candidates in terms of types of robots in terms of type of robots and in terms of uh, locomo- locomotions mode of modes of locomotion um yeah, I wanted to think a little bit about it but the, um so one
1: thing maybe it might be a biped walking robot, but um uh, maybe it might be some uh mix of different locomotion skills because uh I always tell my students uh that it's good to look at biology where it did good things, but you should not try to replicate it uh exactly uh so uh because clearly biology evolved on on the many constraints and uh it 's kind of a messy process. You have good things good principles out of it that you can reuse, but maybe not copy exactly. So maybe a mix of wheeled robots and legged robots would be interesting for, for doing that. Um, yeah, for house cores, I would need to think a little bit more what would be the guys' right locomotion skills. But clearly you want it to be robust to climb stairs go downstairs, ideally to go out in, in complex terrain. Uh, if it's just on flat terrain and, and like apartments, the skills, locomotion skills are, are not too demanding. Where it really gets difficult is outdoors, there when terrain is soft, has stones, has grass, has, uh, there you get really in terms of
0: exciting, complex locomotion problems. Um, robotics today is becoming a huge field, there's robots everywhere in industry, in hospitals, in, in research obviously, in the military. Uh, which aspect of robotics do you think will have had the biggest impact on our lives in 20 years?
1: Yeah, I think we we just we, uh, everyday person will see them more uh, because so far there there are many of them we we don't see them so we're, like uh, many car industries are car uh, car um, factories are now completely uh, powered by robots those we don't see so I, I would say like this field of entertainment robotics then people will maybe each household will have a few of them um, mainly for entertainment. Uh, I personally don't like too much house chores, so uh, having a robot helping uh, me uh, or my family at home that that would be that would be fantastic. So that that might be uh, a nice thing, really, to have to have something to help you at home. And clearly, there are all the older kind of more traditional things where people uh, are planning robots for is is uh, space exploration. There, uh, when you think about it, sending humans uh, to do planetary exploration is It's maybe not the best thing to do in terms of costs and and risks. Sending robots seems to me much more uh, sensible. Um, Robotics for dangerous situations. Um, There, if we can save some lives and um, use robots instead of of humans or animals, might be a good thing. So these are kind of the traditional things everybody mentions as well. But um, I really hope uh, we'll get them out of of the
0: labs and the factories. Thank you very much, Auke for joining us here on Talking Robots. You're welcome. Very welcome. Thank it's you. It's been a pleasure. This concludes our Talking Robots interview with Auke Eisbert from the Biologically Inspired Robotics Group at the EPFL. For more information on his amphibious salamander robot, including pictures and videos, have a look at our website. I'm Marcus Weibel. Thanks for listening. In robots, the inside view on robotics. For more information on past and upcoming podcasts, visit our website at lis.epfl.ch.